This morning, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 4, I'll begin at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, even a 100 times what was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. This past year, I celebrated my 18th anniversary in the pulpit. For the better part of two decades, I've been a preaching pastor. 
The first sermon I ever preached was some 27 years ago. And I must confess to you that over that quarter of a century, I've done my best to learn a few things about the art and craft of preaching. For example, I I know the importance of a well-spoken introduction. An introduction has the purpose of grabbing the attention of the audience by the shirt collar and pulling them in, almost compelling you to listen. I also understand the value of putting together a sermon that's well-built with logic and reason moving smoothly from one point to the next, one transition to the next. I understand that most people can't think very long. The science study backs it up. At best, people have an attention span of seven minutes. That's at the best. Most of us are far less than that. And so every preacher worth his salt has to understand you got to reset the clock every seven minutes. And the way you can do that is with a powerfully placed illustration or maybe a a well-built transition from one movement of the sermon to another movement of the sermon or maybe sprinkling in application all throughout the message as to not just backload it to the end of the sermon because you and I both know that most people listen to preachers and they have one question on their mind How is what you're saying going to impact my life? And so people have a short attention span. So you got to reset the clock every seven minutes or so. I also have learned the, the, the goal and the desire to land the plane at the appropriate time. Uh, Just like a pilot can't just circle the runway, eventually he's got to stick the landing. And a preacher can't just circle the runway and say, now in conclusion, four times, right? I mean, in conclusion, in conclusion, in conclusion. Eventually you say, just land the plane, buddy. Just sit down. And I've learned the value of landing the plane and sticking the landing and doing it with some gusto. But I got to be honest. Even though, uh, like you, I I try to do my best at the job and the craft that God has called me to, there's still a lot of things about preaching that I don't get. A lot of things about preaching that seem to elude me, I don't quite understand. For example, for the life of me, I, I, I can't understand how you can have two people who sit in the same worship service for 10 years, hearing the same sermons from the same preacher. And one person has a growing faith and the other person has a spiritual life that's been unchanged for the better part of 10 years. How do you explain? You can have two couples seated side by side on the same pew. And for years, they've been a part of the same worship services, they've heard the same sermons, they've listened to the same topics, they're being preached from the various passages. And one married couple love the Lord and love each other, and their love is strong and vibrant. And the other couple, they're heading to divorce court. How do you explain that? Or what about you got four 
soon-to-be graduating seniors. And for the last six years, they've been seated in big church. (laughs) They've come here to the worship service. And for six years, they have experienced the very same worship services, heard the very same sermons. And those four soon-to-be graduates on four different spiritual planes. How do you explain that? Well, I do take some comfort that I'm not the only preacher to be baffled by this. Because the the goal of preaching is to clearly communicate the scripture. But clearly, it's not clearly communicated to all, right? I mean, clearly some people get it and some people don't. I do find some comfort from the realization that not even all the people listening to Jesus got it. And Jesus is the king of all preachers. And you would think to yourself, now if any preacher is really going to connect with everybody, it's got to be Jesus. But from the story that I just read for you, even Jesus testifies as to why some people get it and some people don't. A large crowd gathered. They were pressing against Jesus. They wanted to hear what the righteous rabbi from Galilee had to say. And Jesus found himself on the water's edge. He got into a boat, he pushed off from shore, he turned that sailing vessel into an aquatic pulpit. And from that vantage point, he taught the crowd. Maybe he looked up in the far distance on the hillside, and maybe he saw an Israeli farmer. And on that farmer, he saw a a burlap sack of seed slung across his shoulders. And he watched how that farmer rhythmically walked through the field and liberally reached into his pouch, pulled out the seed, and scattered it wherever it would go. Wasn't really paying much attention to where it landed, but the farmer just scattered the seed as far as he could reach it. And every time he reached in, there was more seed to get and to scatter. If Jesus saw that, that was the springboard for his sermon. Even if he didn't see what I just described for you, every person in the crowd could visualize a farmer sowing seed. So Jesus begins by telling the crowd, listen up. That's a good word, listen. In fact, it's the key to unlocking the whole passage. Listen, listen. A farmer went out to sow seed. Some of the seed fell on the hard path. You know, the path that's been trampled down by the foot of men and animals, it's as hard as concrete. That seed just rests on top of the soil. And the birds come in. They snatch the seed and swoop it away. Other seed, it fell on rocky soil. In Israel, Underneath a thin layer of topsoil is dense rock. I've been told that if Israel could ever export rock, they'd be the richest nation on the planet. They got rock everywhere. And so some of the seed fell on that rocky soil. Immediately it sprang up, but because the soil was so shallow, built on top of that rock, there wasn't enough root system so that the, the grain could develop, the seed could grow. And so there weren't enough uh, ability of that seed to get the nutrients from the soil. And once the sun popped over the horizon, that intense heat withered that plant. It did not produce grain. Some seed 
fell along thorny soil. It too sprang to life quickly. But so did all the thorns and the thistles. And all of those weeds intermingled with that good seed and eventually just kind of choked it out so that it never got to maturity. It never grew to produce grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It landed in those spots where the soil was rich with nutrients. Oh, and that seed, I tell you what, it grew. It it produced a bumper crop. Now, most Palestinian farmers expected a 10-time yield from the seed that was sown. Jesus said, I've got some seed that you scattered, and it will yield 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And that's it. That's the sermon. I mean, after that, they play just as I am. They offer the invitation. Everybody goes home. I mean, that's it. Jesus never was accused of being a long-winded preacher. But Jesus, he taught and then stopped. And that was it. I can well imagine that there were uh, some people that left the crowd. They got dispersed. They went back to their villages. They bumped into some friends who weren't able to make the trip. They said, hey, what would you think about the new rabbi? Did you like him? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess he's young and charismatic, and he does preach short sermons, and we all are in favor of that. One of the foggiest clue what he's talking about. I mean, he's a preacher of God, and he's talking about farming. He's talking about soil and seed. What does he know about farming? He's a carpenter turned preacher. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to tell us to do some soil analysis. Maybe he's got some super seed that nobody knows about. I mean, he says if you sow what he has, you'll yield 30, 60, 100 times over. I've never heard anything like that, but if he's selling it, I'm buying it. But I thought he was a preacher. Some have said he's Messiah. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't understand. Even the disciples, those that were closest to Jesus, they didn't get it either. They went into a house and they got alone with Christ and they said, hey, what was that all about? You know, that whole seed and soil. and What was that? And Jesus, he says, you don't understand this? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand anything about the kingdom of God? This is like parabolic understanding 101. I mean, this is the basic. This is entry level. You don't get this, you're not going to get anything else. And Jesus began by giving a defense of why he talks in parables. He quotes from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 6. He says, though ever seeing, they are never perceiving. Though ever hearing, they're never understanding. Otherwise, they would believe and repent and be forgiven. Now that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you may be familiar with that passage. Let me quickly just remind others of, of, of what it says. The prophet is called by God to a great ministry. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was 
high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple and the six winged creatures called seraphs, they were flying around from one side of the building to the other side of the temple building and they were proclaiming one song on their lips. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when they began to sing about the holiness of God, the very thresholds shook. And Isaiah said, woe is me. God is holy and I am not. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of those seraphs, six-winged creatures, ordered by God to take a live coal from the altar of God, that place of forgiveness and sacrifice. And the Lord said, touch the lips of Isaiah with this live coal. And then the Lord said, see, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God's forgiveness, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God's forgiveness is always full and free and forever. God's forgiveness not only takes care of the dirty deed that was done, but also the guilt that's associated with that dirty deed. Not only does God clean out the closet of all those skeletons, but he also wipes away the shame and the guilt that's associated with those skeletons. To God be praised. This is God's forgiveness that he gave to Isaiah. This is God's forgiveness that he gave to me. This is God's forgiveness that that he gave to you. His forgiveness is full and free and forever. Praise his holy name. Amen. It's at this point that God has a holy Trinitarian conversation with himself. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's God talking to? He's talking to himself. God the Father talking to God the Son, speaking to God the Spirit. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And it's Isaiah who's eavesdropping on that Trinitarian conversation. And he's like a third grade schoolboy. He raises his hands. Ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. As if he really knows the answer or he's really gotta go potty. One of the two. He's really saying, hey, here I am, pick me. And the Lord says, it's gonna be tough sledding. Just want you to know that this ministry that I'm calling you to is not gonna be easy. It's gonna be rather tough. And I don't want that disappointment to douse your enthusiasm. Because Isaiah, you're going to go and preach to a people. And they will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. For if they do, then they will repent, believe, and be forgiven. But Isaiah, don't be discouraged. You're going to go forth. You're going to say, thus saith the Lord. And there'll be some who receive and some who reject. Don't let those rejectors discourage you. Ever seeing, never perceiving. Ever hearing, never understanding. This was Isaiah's life verse for ministry. If you know anything about Isaiah's ministry, this was it. There are a lot of people that did not receive the message that Isaiah proclaimed. I would go so far as to say not just Isaiah's life verse, but every prophet's life verse. Because every prophet stood up to say, thus saith the Lord. Every preacher of the gospel stood up to say, thus saith the Lord. And some receive and some reject. And what Jesus is saying is don't let the rejection of people for my gospel discourage you in your ministry. And Jesus is adopting this verse for himself. This is his life verse as well. He is saying, listen, I will go forth. 
And I will speak and I will preach about the kingdom of God. And I will call people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And there'll be some who receive and others who reject. There'll be some that will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they would repent and believe and be forgiven. Now at first read, it may sound to you like God doesn't want them to get it. And there's nothing further from the truth. If God didn't want people to get it, all he had to do was do nothing. Because you and I are born in condemnation. And we go to hell, people go to hell, not because they reject Jesus. They go to hell because they never received Jesus. So if God had not given anybody an opportunity to receive Jesus, then he could have just let all of us live and spend eternity in condemnation. But because of his overwhelming love for humanity, he sent Christ. He gave us the gospel to proclaim here, there, and everywhere because God wants people to receive him in faith. The, what this verse is saying, it, it doesn't speak to the hardness of God. It speaks about the hardness of the human heart. For there are a lot of people who have a hard, calloused heart and they see but they don't perceive and they hear but they don't understand otherwise if they did they would believe and repent and they'd be forgiven jesus said to you guys on the inside i try to speak plainly to those on the outside i speak in parables once again not to shroud it not to make it more difficult but he wants to separate the contenders from the pretenders he wants to really know who's coming after him to follow him in faith so to the outsiders he says i speak in parables this is a beautiful optic that mark tapped in on in the previous passage of last sunday because jesus last week was in a house And his mother and brothers came to apprehend him, to arrest him. They came to take charge of Jesus. Why? Because they thought he was crazy. They thought he'd gone off the ranch. They thought that he was not eating enough, not sleeping enough, working from morning until night. And he was just really exhausting himself. And they knew better for Jesus than Jesus knew for Jesus. So they came to apprehend him. And because the crowd in that story was so large that they could not press into him, so they sent a message saying, hey, tell Jesus his mother and brothers are here to receive him. His mother and brothers are here to correct him. Mother and brothers are here to apprehend him. The word finally gets to Jesus, and Jesus asked the question, who are my mother and who are my brothers? Probably not the best question to ask if people are accusing you of being insane and demon-possessed, but nonetheless, that's what he says. Who are my mother and who are my brothers? And then he says, Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, those who hear God's word and follow his will, those on the inside. He makes a distinction between outsiders and insiders. Outsiders, they come to arrest Jesus. Insiders, they come to worship Jesus. Outsiders, they come to give Jesus orders. Insiders, they come to receive his instruction. Outsiders, they call him crazy. Insiders, they call him Christ. A big difference between being an outsider and an insider. And here Jesus says to his disciples, you're on the inside. I try to speak to you plainly. To those on the outside, I speak in parables. And now Jesus says, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let me try to explain what this parable means. He says the seed is the word of God. And the word of God is to be spread indiscriminately. The word of God is to be spread liberally. The word of God is to be spread and scattered to anyone, anywhere. So like a farmer, we as believers in Christ, we have 
the word of God in us and on us. And so we reach into the pouch and we scatter the gospel. We reach in and we proclaim and we live out the gospel. We scatter it anywhere to anybody. And we have no fear that the seed is ever going to run out. We have no fear that we're going to reach into the south, reach into the pouch and not have any more gospel because the gospel is limitless. The gospel is expansive. And so we reach in and we pull up the seed of the gospel and we scatter it everywhere. And we don't worry about where it lands. We don't worry about upon whom it lands because we scatter it anywhere. For we are told to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. So we scatter it anywhere and everywhere and upon anybody. We scatter that gospel. And Jesus said, this word of God, this gospel truth is like a seed. Now, most of us look at a seed and we think to ourselves, that's small, insignificant, yet it packs a lot of life, doesn't it? Because if it's lodged in the right place, it will explode with growth. Most of us like the images of the word of God that are much more macho than that. We like the rough and tumble. We like the Avengers. We like the Captain America, Steve Rogers kind of analogy of the word of God that you find sometimes throughout the scripture because it's Jeremiah who says that the, that the word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rocks. Captain America would like that. I, I like that. You like that. We like the word of God that is strong and mighty and nothing can stop it for it can smash the rocks. We like that imagery of God in his word. We also like what John says. He says the word of God is a consuming fire. Oh, we like that too. We like the part that it's like fire that burns away the dross, burns away the impurities, and it consumes everything inside of us and around us. We like that. We like that imagery. It's a fire that cannot be quenched. It's a fire that cannot stop. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah said, I got like fire shut up in my bones. Woe is me if I don't scatter the seed and preach the gospel. We like this imagery of the powerful word of God. We like what the author of the Hebrew letter says. He says the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates and divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It lays bare the very thoughts and attitudes of the human heart. Oh, we like that. Nothing can withstand God's word. Nothing can, can uh, come against or thwart the word of God. Oh, but in our story, Jesus says the word of God is like a uh, like a seed, small. You know, I would think insignificant. But if it's planted in the right spot, growth will explode. My preaching professor in Boston was a man by the name of Haddon Robinson. And I remember many things that Haddon Robinson said. Um, but one of the things I will never forget because on one occasion he made the statement that the word of God must not only be found on the lips of the preacher, but it must also be found on the ears of the hearer. That in order for this thing to be effective, this preaching thing, it's got to be not only on the lips of the preacher, but also on the ears of the hearer. Make no mistake about it. I cannot slouch. I, I cannot... Uh, shrink away from my responsibility to prepare adequately to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. I've got to do my study. I've got to do my research. I've got to do my preparation. I've got to get myself ready to stand up and preach for this divine assignment. I, I, I know I've got much to do in this preaching moment, but so do you. Because I have to preach well and you have to listen well. 
There's something you have to do in the preaching moment. You've got to listen well. If you don't, if you, if you stop and just look at our passage, Jesus talks about listening and hearing over and over and over again. He starts out by saying, listen up. He'll end up by talking about how we, how we ought to listen. And so he is, he is telling us that in order for the word of God to get inside of us, in order for the word of God to be preached effectively, not only must it be found on the lips of the preacher, but also on the ears of the hearer. Not only does the preacher have something to do, but so does the audience. Because the audience has to listen as well or better than the preacher has to preach. Another example I remember from Dr. Robinson is that one day in class, I love those moments when it was just a Q&A, just question answers. And Dr. Robinson was believed to be probably one of the experts in this field of preaching. It was a blessing to be able to study with him. And one day, somebody asked the question, hey, Doc, how long should a sermon be? And this expert in preaching immediately responded with, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you this much, though. As a preacher, you better sit down two minutes before the people in the crowd say, I wish he would sit down. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, preacher, you already passed the two minutes. You better go ahead and sit down now. I, I know. I understand. But that's true, isn't it? It's not about the length of the sermon. It's about how long are people hanging with you? How long are they listening? Because the effectiveness of preaching is not only found on the lips of the preacher, but also on the ears of the hearer. So Jesus talks about four different types of people. It's not four different types of soil. It's four different types of hearts. It's four individuals. And what's remarkable is that Jesus goes well beyond time and space. He's not just talking to the first century audience in Israel. He's talking to any century's audience anywhere. Because any century, any culture, any location, every religious crowd has these four types of people in them. And these four types of soil, it's not type of dirt. It's four different types of people. And the difference of these four is all wrapped up in how individuals listen to the word of God, how they hear it. So Jesus says there are some people in every crowd and they're as hard as the dirt on the path, cold and calloused and hostile toward God. Maybe they got that way because of a past experience. Maybe they became that way because of a perceived injustice. Maybe there was somebody in their life that was religious and they looked up to and that person had a failure. Let them down, disappointed them, crushed their spirits. And they're blaming that individual for their hard-heartedness toward God. And maybe some people are just twisted by the twisted truth of the adversary, which twisted truth is nothing more than falsehood. Regardless, when the seed is scattered upon them, the gospel just lays on top of them as if they were like pathy people. And what does the devil do? He swoops in and takes it away. So this person walks out of church on Sunday and says, you know what? I didn't get a thing out of that. I don't know what the preacher was talking about. I don't have a clue. what I didn't get anything from that. You'd have a better chance of growing a cornfield on pavement than growing a church from pathy people.
cold, calloused, hostile toward God. Some people in the first century are like that. Some people in the 21st century are like that. Just they oppose God and everything that looks like God. And then uh, Jesus said there are some people that are more like the rocky soil. I don't want you to miss this. The people who are like rocky soil, they hear the gospel. They hear the message. It's scattered upon them and they receive it with joy. They say, yes, the preacher's right. Yes, he's, he's accurate. He's speaking to me. Yes, I agree with that. What he's saying is true and it is right. And they receive it with joy. This is the person who in the sermon, when a given topic is spoken about, they, they, they say to themselves, yes, you know, I do need to forgive my father. For abandoning me. The preacher's right. I I do need to forgive. Because if I don't forgive, it's only hurting me. And yes, I I do. I I need to stop being a gossip girl. I need to stop being a gossip guy. I need to stop. I need need to use my mouth to praise the Lord. Not just not just slander people. And yes, you know, the preacher's right. I need to stop having sex with my girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. He's right. I need to stop doing that. Or, you know, I, I need to stop looking at pornography. Pastor's right. Nothing ever good comes from that. And I need to stop doing that. And the stats are very real. That one out of every two religious men and one out of every five religious women and four out of every ten pastors are caught in the web of pornography. And yet, pastor's right. I need to stop doing that. And yet, pastor's right. I need to share the gospel with my lost neighbor. I need to do that. I know that my coworker's lost as a goose. I know that my neighbor is lost. I know I need not only just to invite them to church, but I need to ask them to seriously take claim, take seriously the claims of Jesus Christ upon their life. And this person who has rocky, a rocky heart, rocky soil, that person receives the truth with joy. And they say, yes, I need to start doing some things. And yes, I need to stop doing some things. And I'll make some promises today. And I'm going to make good on those promises. But those promises are short-lived. Because there's no depth. There's no root. Rocky, shallow soil. And when that is tested, it's persecution and peer pressure and trouble and trials. And when that comes at this type of person, that individual reverts back to his old way of life or her old way of life. So you have somebody who's on rocky soil. They come to church. They receive the truth in joy. Yet they go out and they have a stressful week. They have a peer pressured week. They face persecution from their friends. They um, face persecution from their coworkers. And, 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 they, and they shrink back from the faith. And they wither because of the intensity of the heat of the persecution, stress, and trouble. That's the person. Rocky soil. And then Jesus says there's a third type of person. There's a person that's like thorny soil. It's not that they oppose God. They're just not radically obedient to God. This is the person, um, and once again, they receive the truth in joy. They, they, they hear the gospel. They hear the sermon, the message. They say, yes, I need, I need to start doing that. I need to stop doing this. I, I, I need to, you know, I, I need to be more generous with my finances. I really need to, I need to do more for D&D Challenge. That's what I need to do. Because when I put on that card, let's, let's just be honest. I could do more than that, you, th- you said to yourself. I could really do more. But, you know, I've got so many other things coming down the pike that I know about. And then some things probably that I don't know about. So I've, I've got to compartmentalize my finances. So I can do what I can do. And God certainly understands. 
And the person who's like the thorny soil, they compartmentalize God right alongside the worries of life, the riches of this world, and the pleasures in this life. And so they say, it's not that I oppose God, I'm just not radically obedient to him. He has his place, and I give him some time, and I come about once a month, maybe twice a month, and when I hear the word, I receive it with joy. And yes, that's what I need to start doing and stop doing. I get all that. But then when I get out into the real world, Oh, when I get into the real world, then I got to worry about my 401k plan. And I got to worry about my retirement. I got to worry about college. And then I got to think about the, the, how I'm going to pay for the new truck that's in my driveway. And, and I'm consumed about my next vacation. And listen, I've got so many things on my calendar, this person says. I've got junior 63 game ball schedule for travel ball. And I've got to be there. And I've got to do this. And I've got to do that. Yeah, I know I need to read the Bible more. And I know I need to pray more. And I know I need to do this and that. But I just don't have time. And certainly God will understand it. I give him his time. I give him his space. I compartmentalize God, God in my life. It's not that I don't like God. It's just I only have so much time. Compartmentalize. And what happens to that person? Jesus said that alongside that faith that initially grows, it gets choked out by all the other stuff. He gets choked out by the worries of this life, by the pleasures of this life, by the riches of this world. And then Jesus said, there, there's some people that are like the good soil. Man, the gospel gets into them and it sinks deeply in their life and they hear it with joy and they receive it, they retain it and they have a bumper crop. They reproduce themselves 30, 60 hundred times over they invest in other people and the fruit of their life is evident to all Jesus would ask you today what kind of listener are you when you come and hear a sermon what what kind of listener are you the uh, sure sign that you're listening is not that you're able to stay awake That's not the sure sign that you're listening. The sure sign that you're listening is not even that you nod in affirmation from time to time and maybe even voice an amen from uh, once in a while. That's not a sure sign that you're listening. The sure sign that you're listening is that your life develops fruit. If you have a deep root in the gospel, it will bear itself out in the fruit of your life. And that's the sure sign that you are listening to the word of God. You receive it with joy. You retain it. And it produces a crop. In your life. For where there is root, there inevitably will always be fruit. Throughout the Bible, God emphasizes this thing of listening because listening always implies loving God and listening always implies obeying God. Remember the great Shema? Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listening leads to loving. Listen to God, you will love him. When God was calling young Samuel into ministry, his mentor told him, when God speaks, this is what you ought to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. My listening implies my obeying. You tell me what to do, and I will do it. Why? Because I'm listening to your word. What you tell me to do, I will do. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In the New Testament, Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice because I know them and they follow me. 
To listen to the voice of Jesus implies that he knows you and you know him and that you follow him. And you, and you, by following him, you do what he tells you to do. Jesus said to the seven churches in Revelation chapters two and three, at the end of each one of those letters, Jesus said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Hearing always implies obedience. What type of listener are you? If I did a show of hands, I promise you that the vast majority of you would say, I am good soil. I am a good listener. I retain, I receive with joy, I produce a bumper crop. But that's not reality, is it? Jesus said only about one out of four really get it. That's 25%. And that's the king preaching. That's not my preaching. That's the king preaching. 25% get it. Let's stop and think about this little survey that Jesus gives us. To be honest, um, there's only one person who is hostile toward God. That's the pathy people. That's it, 25%. And that's true in the first century, and it's still true today. I mean, all, all the surveys tell us that over 75% of the people in this culture, in this day, say that, yeah, there probably is a God and he probably is important. More than 75% of the people say that even today. There's a minority, a, a vast minority, that is really hostile toward God, but a microphone is always in their hands and they're always very loud and prominent and prevalent. But there's only about 25%, one out of four people, that are cold and calloused and angry at the things of God. That's true today as it was in the first century. And it's also true today that there's probably only about one out of four people that really get it that really retain the gospel and reproduce the gospel in their life, probably even in this faith family, one out of four. But the majority of us live somewhere in the middle. The majority of us live somewhere in the middle. Either we are rocky or we are thorny. We are people who say, you know what? I, I love God. I receive the message. I love the preaching. It's good. I make promises. I make commitments. I make decisions. But sometimes they're very short-lived for I don't even get out of the church before I'm met with the trouble, the peer pressure, and the compartmentalization of my life. And those things cause the seed to wither in our life and to choke it out. And we don't bear fruit. The sure sign that you're listening is that you receive it with joy, you retain it, and it bears a bumper crop. It's no mistake that James, the brother of our Lord, could not even get out of his first chapter without giving us this great line, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Where did he hear that? Probably big brother Jesus. Probably all throughout Jesus' life. He would say, James, don't just listen, but do it. Don't just listen, but do it. Don't just listen, but do it. And James says, that sounds pretty good. I'm gonna put that in my letter. Don't be doers, don't be listeners of the word. Uh, don't be doers of the word, not listeners only. Don't just listen to it, but do it. Because that's the evidence that you and I are listening to the seed that's scattered. Jesus said, do you uh, bring in a lamp and put it under a bushel or put it under a bed? The answer is no. What do you do with a lighted lamp? You bring it in, set it on its stand or on its table so that it gives light to a dark room and dispels darkness. And Jesus says in the same way, when the light of God's gospel, when the truth of the gospel is shed upon your life, what do you do with it? You certainly don't put it under a bushel and you don't go home and put it on the bed. What do you do? You put it on the stand and it illuminates every place you go so that everybody knows undoubtedly that you are good soil where the seed of the gospel has been planted inside of you and you're reproducing yourself to the tune of 30, 60, 100 fold. That's the evidence that you're good soil.
That's the evidence that you listen well. Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. With the same measure that you listen to the Lord, the Lord will impart knowledge unto you. Wednesday night at the gathering, I gave this analogy. The analogy uh, came from um, academics. In high school, I took two years of French. I don't know why. I had to have a language, so I took French. I took two years of French in high school. In college, I had to have a foreign language, so what did I do? I took three semesters of French. To this very day, if you put a French paragraph in front of me, I would not be able to translate it, and I would not be able to even speak it. I mean, the only thing I can do is say, parlez-vous français? That's it, right? And I can laugh like a Frenchman, <laughs> right? I mean, that's about it. That's all I got. Why? Because I didn't use it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Now, Jesus is not talking about salvation here, but he is talking about insight. He is talking about truth. He is talking about obedience. Listen, you want to be close to God, you can be as close to God as you want to be. You, you, you want more truth of God in your life than the way you do it is apply the truth that he's given you and he'll give you more. You want more insight in your life? Apply the insight that he's given you and he'll give you more. You want more obedience in your life? Apply the obedience that he's given to you and he will give you more opportunity for obedience. He says, listen, unless you use it, you lose it. Whoever has, I'll give more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, I'll take it away from him. Once again, not about salvation, but about truth and insight into the gospel of God. So you can be as close to God as you want to be. The marvelous thing about this story is that the soil is not how you're made. The soil is how you become. You're not made pathy. You're not made rocky. You're not made thorny. You're not made good. That's what you become. So that tells me that right now in this season of your life, if you were just honest with me this morning, you say, you know what? The way you describe it, I compartmentalize God with everything else. I am pretty much thorny soil. You don't have to stay that way. You do not have to stay that way. Even if you're here today and you're angry at God because of something that happened in your past, friend, you don't have to stay that way either because God's gospel is powerful enough to penetrate even the hardest calloused heart. You remember the little song, don't you? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Let me tell you this morning, be careful, little ears, how you hear. Be careful, little ears, how you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, how you hear. How you hear reveals the type of soil that you are. We have a responsibility to preach well and to listen well. And the evidence that we listen well, it's not that we stay awake. The evidence that we listen well is not that we walk out the door and say, good preacher sermon, or good sermon preacher, however you want to say it. But the way we know that we listen well is we walk out this door, we receive the truth in joy, we retain it, and the fruit is revealed because of the root of the gospel in our life. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this moment that you will speak to us. Help us to respond in obedience unto you. Father, move us along the path. Help us to be good soil, good listeners, good preachers, good scatterers of the seed. And Father, for somebody here that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.